welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Hi, my name is Yitzhi. I'm a sexaholic. So I like, I want to start off with a prayer. The prayer is simply to remind me that of myself, I'm nothing. And without God, I'm lost, basically, like it says in both story in the big book on page 13. So the prayer I usually like using is the set-aside prayer. It's a version of the prayer for the, for the second step. goes something more or less like this. God, please help me set aside everything I think I know about myself, about my disease, about my fellowship of essay, about the big book, about the steps, and especially about you, God, so I could have an open mind and a new experience with all these things. Please help me see the truth. Amen. So, uh, like I said, I'm a sexaholic. I personally, um, I liked what I heard from a speaker. uh, There's two points in the big book where it tells me how to tell my story. One of them, it says what what it was like, what happened, what we what we were like, what what we used to be like, what happened, what we are like now. That's on page 58. And page 29, it says that each individual from in, his, in the personal story is described in his own language from his own point of view how he established this, his relationship with God. So that's what I'm going to try to discuss here instead of going into what I was like and the whole drunk a lot. Um, I'm going to take a few a few brief moments to qualify about that and not really, you know, bother with much detail there, because um, I don't I don't believe that drunk logs help anyone. Um, they may help the newcomer identify the meeting, but that's not my that's not I don't think that's my purpose at this point. Um, so, yeah. So basically, I grew up in a regular uh, Jewish Orthodox household like a lot of people in my neighborhood, and uh, from the outside, everything was fine. From the inside, my father was a bit of like a rageaholic. He was very sick. My father was very sick, still is very sick mentally, emotionally, whatever. He's just very, like, to some extent, he's a very simple kind of person, and he just can't hold a job and stuff like that. My parents got divorced because of, like, all this abuse, and my father kept, like, telling my mother that he, there's nothing to do, he could do about it. He really wants to. My, they used to go to psychiatrists and marriage counselors for years. Until they finally got divorced. I was about seven years old. They first got separated and then divorced. And I'm grateful that there was no, like, there was no fighting. It was all amicable to some extent because there was no, like, it, was, it wasn't about arguing. It, was, it wasn't about not getting along in the relationship and arguing. It was simply that my father wasn't, wasn't of the material that would belong getting married to begin with, but God had other plans, and God had a plan to bring ten, ten uh, people into this world through my parents, and that's basically how that happened. So anyway, so that that's um the first time like I was physically abused. I don't I, um like could be it's even like blocked in my memory, but like my father choked me 
um, ones when I came out when I was a little kid, and he basically, until I was blue in the face, he, he held me down by my feet and, like, dragged me back to my room and whatever. My mother had to stop him, run, run him from the kitchen and stop him. He didn't realize what he was doing was wrong because he has a couple, like, mental illnesses, uh, kind of mild schizophrenia and other stuff. Anyway, so besides that, just, like, the um, the the setting of where I was, besides that, there was a lot of, uh, I, I, I was getting a lot of mixed messages about everything in life. I didn't understand everything. I was always like a bit of an outsider, always wishing I would be older because I'm so young. And when I was seven, I wished I was 10. And when I was 10, I wished I was 20. You know, it just kept going. I was never okay with where I, with who I was at the moment. And I always, always saw the adult, and, and everyone who's even a few years older than me getting better treatment than me, and everyone's better than me. And then um, I used to be, um, I was also at a big mouth, and I liked pissing other kids off, and I would get bullied in school. And uh, anyway, and at some point my brother uh, tragically died in an accident at about age 15. Um, so all that was happening somewhere around the time where I discovered Lust at about age 12, 13. From when I started, there was no, like, real stopping me. I would, at that point, there was magazines. I would, uh, I would go, I would, uh, I, I would basically, my cycle would be, I would buy something, I would get disgusted with it, throw it out, be all inspired, go the next morning to, to school, practice my religious studies all day, come home and check in the garbage after a whole long, good day of study and a so-called connection with God, with uh, God that I thought I understood uh, to decide like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go now and, and find some more, um, uh, what do you call it? I'm going to find, I'm going to find some more magazines. Either if it was in the garbage, if it wasn't in the garbage, I would either steal money or if I had money on me, run to like a convenience store that sold, uh, pornography to minors and I would buy it. And then, Slowly became DVDs, and I uh, would spend hours watching those again and again and again, and save them to my computer because sometimes I didn't have the courage to save an actual DVD. It was more like I, uh, um, I I would like save it to the computer, just a little snippet of it or whatever, and then watch it over and over. Um, basically, I got to Israel. I thought that in God's country, I'm not going to be. Um, I'm not going to be able to. Like, I couldn't bring myself for the first couple of months. I didn't, and then after that, I was again off to the races. And I, I got a smartphone. I would sit and sit on a street corners four or five in the morning um, for literally hours, like the whole night, basically. I'd sit and download pornography and movies and, and whatnot, and I, I, was, I didn't end up going to the school I was supposed to for, for like a good few months. I simply didn't show up, you know, because I was I was either watching pornography, downloading it, or sleeping. Those are the three. Those are my three main activities for the most part. And then, whatever. After a while, a couple interventions by a friend, my the dean of the school, whatever it was, they got me to a therapist. Didn't really help. Whatever. At the end of the day, I had to come to my own knees and, and realize after like a short kind of stint with a, with a girl 
that I was completely powerless and that I couldn't stop on my own. And boom, it brought me to SA. So I came to SA. I, uh, I got a sponsor. Funny thing is I got a sponsor before I came to SA and, like, walked in with a sponsor. But um, that didn't last because my sponsor didn't really, like, in my opinion at the time, which I had a lot of opinions at the time, I didn't think that his, uh, his sponsorship was effective because he was basically taking me through the big book, similar to the way I take people through now. That, that's the funny part. But he was taking me through the big book. We were underlining where I related to stuff and, like, Bill's story and his actor's opinion. It was very nice stuff, but he didn't give me any tools to stop acting out. And, like, I didn't know how to stop. And if I would text him that I'm about to act out and whatever, okay, he would tell me, you know, pray, whatever. And if, uh, and if I texted him afterwards, he would say, okay, I still love you, it's still okay. So, like, he didn't give me any kind of, like, you know, um, he, did, he wasn't upset at me for acting out, and I couldn't understand that. Today I do understand that, but, you know, it's, it was all part of uh, God's plan to bring me where I am very funny when I think back to it. But anyway, then I found another guy in, in, in the rooms who looked like he had good sobriety. And uh, I asked him to sponsor me. And one, of the good, one of the first things he told me, which made me very happy in the beginning, was that if, I, if you act out without calling me, I'm going to drop you. So, great, no problem. So that worked, that worked for me for a while. I first got sober a month out of fear. Then I, I relapsed, like, I, I literally... I was speaking to him on the phone. We did like kind of a, even though I wasn't up to the fourth step, we did some kind of fourth step. I had a big resentment towards someone. And it was a big justified resentment. It was against the therapist that, uh, that told my mother without my permission um, that I'm in program. Because he, he decided that I needed the money for, to go to addiction therapist, which is true. But um, it wasn't his call to make without consulting me first. And, uh, yeah, I had a big, a big justified resentment at the time, and boom. I, I acted, I did the inventory, I felt a little bit better, and then boom, I acted out, because I never really, I, I had no idea what I was doing. I was just following my sponsors, like, okay, write this, write that, write that. There was no, he didn't really, like, explain to me how writing all this down was going to help. You know, I saw the problem, I saw maybe some of my defects, but I didn't really understand any of it. I'm like a month and a half into the into into SA, and I'm like the newcomer fog probably lasted for me a good four, five, six months. So, yeah. Anyway, <coughs> so I worked with this guy for a good while. After that, I got sober. I got sober. I was sober for like three three months, and I had really good sobriety. I didn't really play around with it much. Like my main struggle were maybe people I saw on the street sometimes. And, like, the biggest action of lust that I, that I took in that period was was a female newcomer, and we shared, we shared a bus home together, and we were talking, and we were just talking, and I, I got her to tell me some of her escapades and stuff and whatever. I was, like, getting a high from it, and then after I got off the bus, immediately I realized how foolish I was, and I surrendered that. But other than that, I literally didn't, like, take any major actions of lust. But towards the end of those four months, we got to basically step eight. Did the steps in kind of a very interesting way, but whatever it was, right? The steps, as far as I understand, the steps are the steps will work as long as as uh, 
as I apply them, and I believe that at that point, to whatever um, shallow knowledge of the program that I had, the steps were doing something in my life. I was sober and I was happy. I actually was. I can't say I wasn't happy. And after doing six and seven, I just felt clean to some extent. I felt like cleaned out. I felt like... But um, so basically, I bumped my, my sponsor, uh, toward, like my last half a month, my sponsor uh, relapsed, unfortunately. He was already depressed for a while and whatever, going through severe depression, wasn't going to meetings. I was running to his house, taking a bus 40 minutes every time we did step work because I was desperate. I don't know why. It was a gift from God that I was desperate to do the steps. And uh, we used to go and do the step work, and then he would go back to his case, unfortunately. And then when we, um, then, then obviously the inevitable happened, being depressed and not going to meetings and not talking to people, he basically, he basically acted out. So I still wanted to continue working with him because I liked his recovery. And I, you know, he did have close to a year before he relapsed, and it wasn't like a major relapse. He just, he just like masturbated and came right back. It wasn't like he had gone out on a run for three, four weeks or three, four months. So I spoke to his sponsor, spoke to other sober members in the area who knew him, and I continued with him and whatever we were doing, step eight at the time. And then I bumped into a guy who had the light of God behind his eyes, just was shining. And he had, at that point, he had, he had had a year. He had had a year previously, and he relapsed, and he had 30 days at the time. But he was shining, and um, we started talking just in general. I just was very intrigued. Some idea which I can't, which I can't um, pinpoint till today. I basically, I, uh, I was infatuated with the big book for some reason. I don't know why, but basically, I liked the big book, and he, his big book had full notes and circles and. And he was very into very into understanding exactly what the authors of the book meant when they said things, and that really that really interested me. So I asked him if I'll do this work with me. So he said he he said he didn't say he'll have to ask his sponsor. He said he'll have to ask his higher power. And that was that that like bored me the first time. That like blew me off my you know off my off my feet because I was like. I didn't know that such a thing existed, that a, that, that a person would consult with his higher power and not with his sponsor. He actually has a, you have an actual relationship with a higher power. I didn't, never heard that before in the room. So that really, really impressed me. And then he came back the next day and he said, the only way I can work with you is if I become your sponsor because I, it's not going to be helpful to you if I just take you through the work without sponsoring you. So I said, okay, you know, I dropped my, my 15 or 30-day technically sober sponsor for this guy who was living a loving recovery. And we worked, we worked for about a month. We finished uh, the, uh, all step one, the first three chapters in the big book and the doctor's opinion and the forward. And um, everything was going well. Unfortunately, he relapsed. I, ca I came back to America. Before that, I took a major action of lust. I went on some escort sites and whatever, I decided to reset my sobriety because I did it for a whole night and I was drunk. And unfortunately, on my way home, on my way back to the U.S., from Lizzo, on my way back to the U.S., on the plane, I I was watching a movie I shouldn't have been watching and uh, 
and uh, yeah, and and I uh, and I acted out, and I came back, and once I once I actually acted out, I wasn't able to get myself more than fifteen twenty days. I started with another big book sponsor, and um, everything was going well, but I was I was relapsing every fifteen twenty days. I couldn't get myself fifteen twenty days. It wasn't just wasn't happening. And at that point, since I joined the program, I hadn't um, acted out with another person, even though I had a few times before with men, women, whatever. And I and that summer I was just so miserable that I said just screw I was just so lonely that I just found other people online and I acted out with them and you know I met up with them and acted out with them and it was just no stopping me. Every fifteen I would get myself seven, nine, ten days, fifteen days. It was all about the amount of days. It just totally I just didn't know what to do. Like that summer I found the guy who actually took me through the first time someone took me through all twelve steps. Because what happened was this other sponsor of mine, um, it was mainly my fault. I didn't, uh, he wanted to do with me a long day to do step four and five, and I wasn't willing at the time. For me, my religious schooling was, that I was halfway attending was more important, my self-image. But what are people going to think when I'm going to be out for a day, even though I'm out sometimes for, for uh, you know, a few days. But what happened when I'm out for a day that I technically could have been there, because I have excuses for all other days, you know. So what happens if I'm out for a day, then people are going to say things. So I didn't do an hour, uh, I didn't do a full day, sorry, anyway. So I didn't really, we're doing, so he just let me be. He, we did We did it, um, I would write and then I would share it with him, but I didn't, I didn't get, I was still not getting sober. And I, then he, unfortunately, he relapsed. So I, uh, found someone else. And then that guy uh, took me through all 12 steps in about two and a half months. And uh, at that, that point, my fourth step took me six weeks. And the whole time, the whole time from day one, he kept bringing me to God, bringing me, you know, any time um, he would keep drilling into my head to keep an open mind and to to try to, whatever concept of God I come up with, I should pray to that every day. Pray for a first step experience, an emotional, some kind of emotional um, reaction or feeling to realize how screwed up my life is, and and to um, to pray, meditate, and be of service on a daily basis. Those were more or less my marching orders on the first day. To pray for a first step experience, and when it comes, pray to remember it every day, and get down on my knees and beg God to help me get through the day sober. And that's what I did. And I stayed sober. At, at the first couple of days, I was struggling. I got sober, and then I stayed sober for like three and a half months doing this. And after two and a half months, I finished the steps. And I, at, at step four, my obsession was lifted. I, I, I just finished the night before. I just finished the resentment inventory. I, uh, and I was scheduled to go to Manhattan to see a doctor, and. Uh, and I, wa- I was walking to the train. I was in a very surrendered state. I was basically looking down, not willing to look up, and I was just focusing on, I was just meditating, basically. And I walked up on the platform, and there were women, like, on the other side. And something in my mind for the first time told me, you don't need to look on the cross. And I just took a deep breath and didn't look. And... And... Um, 
And basically, I, that was the first time I had that kind of freedom. And what happened was I, I realized that I was free. I went, I went on the train. The train was packed with people, men, women, pushing me from all sides, and I wasn't triggered. It was the weirdest feeling that I ever had. When I got off the train in Manhattan and I was able to look around and I wasn't triggered, the first time it just hit me, the words, I, I am free. And I was going to shout it from the rooftops. I was so happy. And then what happened was, um, in short, TV shows and, and movies and stuff became more important than my program. So I let up on my 10 and 11. And then I became very arrogant as well. And I couldn't. I couldn't be vulnerable and surrender to another program member that I was talking to on the phone that day that I that I looked at some stuff and and that night I actually fully relapsed. Three days later, I acted out with another person, and uh, that's my that's my cycle. And then I picked myself up a day late the the next morning and I just trucked on with my program for another two and a half months. Then I then I relapsed again. Um, point, point is, and at that point, I wasn't able to, like, I heard someone say, like, my, when my spirituality grows, my, my disease grows the same rate as my spirituality, when my, and my spirituality drops to zero when I relapse, so I have to take, like, an extra leap, that's just extra hard to get sober after a relapse of, of sobriety, after a good, uh, a good stint of sobriety, because, the disease keeps growing while the re- while the, the relapse kills the spirituality. So anyway, so I wasn't able to. I don't remember at that point. I was like struggling, and I got myself a different regular essay sponsor. It worked for a while, then it stopped, and then I got a different one. The point is, I realized part part of my story is my codependency. I needed to to get that emotional sobriety that I got from working a program on codependency which I also did out of this book. I did it in about three and a half weeks with the sponsor. And then when we got to step four, he taught me how to do a step four in about eight hours. And that really, like, it gave me first freedom, and then it gave me an emotional state, a happy emotional state that, to the extent that my therapist a couple of weeks ago recently told me, I wanted to go back and revisit childhood trust and stuff. And he said, it's not necessary. Whatever you've dealt with, you've dealt with. And unless it comes up again, you don't need to deal with it again. And there's no, there's no um, point in, in digging through the dirt to try to find something new. Like I, he said, that for the most part, I've healed emotionally for whatever scars that were on the surface. And if something comes up, it comes up. But I've completely healed emotionally, which is a real miracle. Anyway, um, how much time do I got? Um, you're at about 10.35 or 12.35. Okay, thank you. So anyway, so so uh, you can take as long as you need. Um, just if we have time to have a couple shares. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, you know, try to you know, oh, whatever. Okay. So I didn't know where I'm at, more or less. Okay. So um, basically, I so I worked the steps, like I said, with the sponsor three and a half weeks, and I was already working with with others in SA for a while, and I continued to work with others. In, in SA, and then I started also working with people for CODA for codependency for the same with the same book and the same steps for the most part. Besides step one, everything was exactly the same, and just the the miracle is seeing other people that I 
that I could see the light in their eyes that I have. It's it's so it's such a miracle. It's so amazing. Um, and um, what do you call it? In, in general, about how I about how I um, developed this relationship with God. Well, like I said before, I prayed and meditated every day um, when I started the steps, and then now when I did this three and a half week uh, intense thing on twelve uh, step uh, process on codependency, I'm sober from at the end of that process. The end of those three and a half weeks was somewhere around the August first. I finished my steps and started like my amends. That's that's basically where I was like doing nine, ten, eleven, and twelve. Um, somewhere around August first. So th- my sobriety day is from July twenty fourth. I remember my first couple of days. Um, I don't even remember much. I just remember when I got the freedom, when I felt free emotionally. I woke up one morning and I didn't have to argue with the guy who was trying to argue with me. I was able to let him be and let him argue, let him go through all his arguments. And, and uh, you know, I didn't have to respond to any of it. And people attacked me and I didn't have to respond to any of it. Saying so sometime over the past few months, it's gotten maybe a little bit. I've got, I'm, not, I'm not a perfect human being, so maybe I've gotten a little um, rusty with the not attacking or sometimes not realizing what I'm saying could be harmful to someone, and then saying it, and boom, it's a little too late sometimes. And uh, but as long as I realize what I'm doing and I try to take the steps to to correct that, then I don't lose myself emotionally and say, "Oh my, oh my God, um, what did I do here?" Um, whatever. And but basically, every literally every morning and every night for the past six months. I've done the I've done what the big book says to do prayer to to pray and meditate and ask myself a couple of questions and and do some kind of formal meditation in the morning on on how I could serve God that day and how God could show me only only to, to only give me strength and direction to solve my problems and not and not um not to <coughs> And not to, um, you know, not to make any requests for myself only. And, uh, like, a selfish kind of request, like, I want this amount of money and I want that and I want that. But, and, and, at, and at night, to, to go through the 12 questions and ask myself all those questions, I literally almost every night, unless I fell asleep for some reason, I was very tired and I just blanked out and it happened sometimes and then I didn't do it, so... I didn't do it. Nothing happened. It's okay. I'm not perfect. I don't have to go crazy that I didn't do it. God loves me anyways. Um, so, yeah, so that really did a lot for me. What also did a lot for me is doing a constant 10th step throughout the day to constantly continue to watch the selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. To keep watching for it and keep waiting for it to come up. And the minute it comes up, not, li- not hold on to it. As much as I could not hold on to it and let God remove it at once. Realize what the problem is. Sometimes when I don't realize what the problem is, because I feel like blocked and I still feel justified, then I have to sit down and do a fourth step. I have to do a written inventory. But it doesn't happen too often these days. It happens sometimes once a week, sometimes twice a week, depending on the week. But um, depending how much I'm connected to God. But um, I want to just quickly go through like a couple of little points on the steps that help me. 
very quickly, and then maybe I'll I'll uh, and I'll and I'll close with this. So I want to just basically explain the way I understand. Step one is basically that I'm driven by I don't know what selfishness, by lust, by I don't know. I'm I'm already not driving this horse and buggy. Lust is driving, you know. Like I, when I start, I really don't have an, any inkling of when when I'm going to stop and where it's going to stop. Right, I've, I've gone into neighborhoods backed out of with, that I wouldn't walk into in broad daylight. I went late at night, twelve one at night. I've gone to those neighborhoods. So for me, so for me, I I wasn't uh, in in the same mind to make those choices. Um, so step one means I don't have power. I don't have step one for me is about power and choice. If I could choose today not to act out, then I'm not a sexaholic. If I, if, I, if I could choose, I don't choose today not to act out. Today I choose to work my program and stay spiritually fit. And when I stay spiritually fit, then whatever lust that comes my way, I give it up to God. The same I give up resentment and fear and anger and worry and everything else like that. And um, the big book of pages 23 to 43 makes one point over and over that no matter how long I'll be sober, if I don't stay spiritually fit, the time and place will come again that I will act out again. It won't, it's not going to come that I will act out. It will be a temptation. It will be a mental blank spot. It will be totally bypassed by my regular brain, and boom, all of a sudden I'll find myself lusting like crazy and not being able to stop and acting out. Um, the only, right, like Fred, I like Fred's story in the big book. That basically, no, there was not a cloud on the horizon, and all of a sudden a cocktail Sounded like a good idea before dinner. And a couple of highballs, right? In the middle, he took a walk. That's on page uh, 41 in the big book. And I say the page number only that people could uh, reference it later, not to show that I know the big book. Because knowledge doesn't really avail me anything. It's only doing the actions and knowing, knowing how to do them and then doing them and living that way. That's what really does it for me. So that's step one. Another part of step one that's very important for me, a lot of newcomers, the way they... I don't know, for some reason, the way they were taught is the minute you have a thought, you make a phone call. To me, the minute I have a thought, I get that on my knees, I ask God. I first become completely willing to God to remove it. I get that on my knees and I beg him to remove it, and then I make a phone call. Because I first have to rely on God and then on human power. My defense must come from my higher power. Statue simply in the beginning means for me that I, I have a need for power. But I'm without power, I need power. Right? And step three is a decision to Whatever this power that I started finding in, in step one and two that I need and that I don't have and that I need, and the power is not me, so whatever, to whatever extent to that power that I know, I'll turn my will and life over to it because turning my will and life over back to Yitzhi as CEO of Yitzhi's life is not going to work. Step four is simply a, uh, is, not a, is not a history. Step four is, a, is, a, is an inventory to see the pattern of why... I, why I cause my own problem. Why, like my sponsor says, um, that there's a promise in the book, that the biggest promise in the book is my problems are my own making. Because if my problems are my own making, no one else needs to change but me. Right? I, I have the power. If I, if I, if I uh, of course, I can't get rid of my defects on my own, but if I, I have the power to, to take action which is the action is four through nine to change that my problem shouldn't that my problem shouldn't be anymore because if my problems were of your making was 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 of my mother's making or my father's making then I'm kind of screwed because I can't really do anything much about it 
of my problem is my of my own making, then I have a bit of a chance with this. Anyway, um, I realize I'm going on, but my, my um, what he called so. Step four is about the patterns. Um, yeah, and then then basically, um, four through nine, whatever. Um, not going to go into all the details. I'm like um, kind of loose, um, getting uh, what he called on time. But then basically, um, yeah, 10, 11, and 12 is simply it's, it, it be, my program becomes a way of life. And I'm actually going through my, through my steps now for the third time. And, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't believe that, the, that, that, I, that, I have a, that there's any break any day from this program. And um, I just keep doing the work again and again. That's what I got to do. Anyway, thanks. I'm done. Thanks. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.